Hey, welcome to episode six of the Letterpress Digest podcast. Today's episode is chock full of useful and practical tips. Uh, I talked to Eli Epstein of Union Press uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, he gives a little history about his shop, but mostly we talk a lot about uh, how to print, how he prints, how he works on linoleum uh, carving, and and all sorts of uh, all sorts of stuff. He really offers up a lot in this episode. And if you're new to letterpress or still learning, this will likely be an episode you bookmark uh, to come back to. I know I took a lot of notes uh, when talking with Eli. So, okay, here we go. Hey folks, thanks so much for listening. I am really excited to welcome Eli of Union Press. Welcome to the show, Eli. Thanks, Jordan. Good to be here. So, Eli, I kind of want to start, um, how did you end up where you're at today with Letterpress? That is the question, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I let's see, in high school, I spent a lot of time in the graphics communications department. Um, I was really taken by exacto knives, I guess I would say. Uh, I spent a lot of time down there working on the yearbook and taking all the graphics classes that I could. I think I took one computer graphics class, and I guess that resonated to some degree. Um, and then when it came time to apply to colleges, I didn't think I wanted to go to art school. I wanted, um, you know, more of a well-rounded education. So I found my way to Northeastern University in Boston. And I jumped right into the graphic design program. And I, you know, I took typography and graphic design one and two and three and um, all of that stuff. And I, I really appreciated design. Uh, that was always super important to me. But what I didn't appreciate was how digital the program was. Um, I yearned to work with my hands and make stuff and have a just a, a more tactile and just an all-around greater connection to the pieces that I was making. And I, I didn't feel that pushing pixels uh, and moving stuff around on a computer with a mouse. Um, yeah. It just didn't really resonate the way I'd hoped it would. Uh, so in my third year there, I applied for an internship at Hat Show Print. And... Uh, I was lucky enough to have been accepted, um, and that was like the, the pivotal moment in my mm. you know, artistic and professional career. That was the, uh, the time when I understood what I wanted to do, and that was, or that is, letterpress printing. Um, so from there, I came back to Boston so I could finish my graphic design degree. Uh, and during that time, I took a class at the Massachusetts College of Art and Design, where they have a letterpress shop. Um, funny enough, it's like, I don't know, maybe 50 yards from Northeastern University. It's probably a little bit further than that, but it felt it felt so close, a stone's yeah. throw away. And I just had never, you didn't know, uh, I had never gone over there. It was it was right there the whole time. Um, and so through through the professor at MassArt, Keith Cross, who has taught there for I don't know, 10 plus years. 
uh, I found my way to a shop in Somerville, Massachusetts that was largely unused since Keith had been there um, as a, a young professional working out of out of the shop. And um, with a friend of mine, I started printing here the summer of, or I guess the spring and summer of 2010. And uh, at some point, people started paying us for our work, <laughs> and we needed a place to put that money, so we. I registered as an LLC, opened up a bank account, and um, I don't know, eight years later, I'm here talking to you. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that is really cool. By the way, I really, you said something, pushing pixels. I have never heard that before, but that is, uh, <laughs> that's an awesome phrase uh, for sort of a wholly digital, uh, I guess, work. Um, that's very so I also wanted to ask you, did you say that you really just enjoyed X-Acto blades? Did I get yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure you didn't drop that in. <laughs> no, that was, I mean, that was intentional. I, I, a lot of the, the work that I was doing in high school, it was like cut and photocopy and paste. And like, there's only so much you can do with a pair of scissors. And so like the X-Acto blade was so integral to that process for me. And I think, I think that really lent itself to, um, wanting to work with a hand, more hands-on process, which is like where I was coming from in my, my early stages as a, you know, a graphic designer and maker of things. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, that, that is really cool. And that's something I, I've learned as I've, I've gotten more familiar with sort of arts and design and letterpress printing is that creating something, there, there are far more tools to be very, very precise, you know, and the exacto knife does seem to be one of those, which is really cool. Um, well, tell me about Hash. So, so talk about that more when, when while you were there. I mean, how did that influence both? I guess obviously, you know, you learned letterpress there, and you learned a lot more about it. But how did it influence your your design, your style? Yeah. Uh, so, I think I think part of the reason that I was uh, so enamored by letterpress printing was just its inherent imperfections, and mm-hmm. I think you really you really experience that when working with you know, a collection of type and uh, wood and linoleum blocks that, you know, are 100 to 150, sometimes older years old. Um, and so the sort of the, the imperfections, the inherent uh, idiosyncrasies of a, a piece of type compared to the one next to it, uh, that I think that was really influential in my work. I recall a project I had done as a student at Northeastern and I you know, I assume I was probably using Helvetica or something, but I <laughs> applied an artistic brushstroke to it, and it it gave it this distressed look. But the thing was, every single you know, every single A with that same brushstroke looked exactly the same. And uh, going to a place like Hatch, where you open up a drawer and there are you know ten to fifteen cap A's in that case of wood type and each one is just a little bit different and each one has its own story to tell. Uh, and that was something that was really attractive to me was that, um, you know, you could, you could make a poster and put the type away and then recreate that same poster and it would never look exactly the same. And those, those, uh, the qualities that make each piece unique and different felt really important. There was something far more human about that, uh, than the work that I was seeing coming, uh, you know, being designed on a computer and coming out of a, a digital printer or something like that. Right. Uh, and that, I mean, I think that is, that is the thing that I took away was that, 
it was important to see the the artist or printer or designer's hand in the process. Um, and I think I think that's something that I've maintained consistently uh, is that the type that I'm using here at Union Press comes from a, a collection of wood and metal type that uh, has a history, maybe not as old as hatches, but uh, not too far behind. Um, and the the imagery that I'm working with is mostly linoleum cuts that I'm doing by hand. So you know I'm I'm drawing them and transferring them and carving them, and it's it's my hand that you see in the process, or it's the hand of somebody that I'm working with that you see in the process, and that's uh, that's uh, you know paramount in my work, I would say, and I, that's something that I've taken directly from my time at Hatch. Right. Yeah. Well, you mentioned wood, metal, and, and linoleum type. Are those the the core elements that you print with? Yeah. Yeah. So the the majority of the work that I'm producing at Union Press are posters and prints. Um, I take on you know wedding invites and business cards and music packaging and that sort of thing. But uh, within the posters, I try and keep all of all of that work produced by wood and metal and linoleum. Um, if there if there's a logo or a very particular image that needs to be reproduced, I will I'll have a plate made and for that process I even stay away from photopolymer and I work with magnesium dyes just so that I have the ability to combine the the wood type or the linoleum cuts alongside uh, right. those computer generated images. Yeah. I had not thought about that, too, but that that's actually, uh, I tried to do that once on our uh, Chandler and Price, uh, and I had gotten some new, I guess, what you call gauge pens to uh, hold the paper in, and I like had the base next to it and tried to, had some type, and then the base smashed my gauge pens, and I was like, yeah. oh, was a <laughs> terrible process. I, I have so many of these, like, you know, where I, it's, it's, it's a hard a hard knock life sometimes when you're learning letterpress and you know we've talked about it on previous episodes of the of the podcast but a lot of people learn online these days you know and they do they do and i i mean that was i think that was definitely a resource for me at the time but i think the the most valuable resource that i found was just doing it uh i mean trial by fire is the best way to learn how to do something but also the best way to learn how not to do something (laughs) yeah yeah, that is very true. I know I will not, uh, I will not repeat that same problem I had on our Chandler and Price. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so talk to me about the linoleum uh, carvings that you have. You ever thought about doing wood carvings, or do you just stick to linoleum because um, it works best? Uh, yeah. So, so like I said, when I when I started Union Press, um, I was working with a close friend of mine, Kyle Nyland, who is a a really fantastic image maker. Um, I wouldn't, I guess, I wouldn't categorize him as like an, an illustrator or a painter or a um, a relief printer or anything like that. He's sort of a multidisciplinary artist. And so at that time, he was the one doing a lot of the linoleum or wood cuts around here. And I was sort of more so responsible for the type, given that that was my background. And um, when we when we went our separate ways, I guess that was maybe four or five years ago at this point, hard to keep track. Um, I I had to pick up the carving tools on my own, and I I wouldn't necessarily say that I am the best image maker. I mean, I, I get by, and 
um, I, I found myself to be most comfortable working with linoleum. It's definitely a more forgiving material than wood is. I have I have done some some woodcuts, definitely not as detailed of pieces that I have done in linoleum. Um, but I think I think often I am working with linoleum for the sake of time. It's just something that I'm able to work with a little bit quicker and a little more efficiently. Um, but I I do have a really great appreciation for the the texture and the quality that you're able to achieve using wood or uh, you know a veneered MDF or something like that. Right. Um, I mean a lot of a lot of my work incorporates uh, you know full color backgrounds and often those are printed from pieces of plywood or the backsides of wood type or you know just different uh, other different pieces of material that I've brought up to to type high so that I can print from them and so you know one thing that you lose when working with linoleum is texture uh, but I've found other ways to to bring that texture back into the work yeah that's cool I've heard of people turning over wood type right to, to get yeah. the grain I know Kyle Van Horn at Baltimore Print Studios talked about that when we took a workshop from him but you also just mentioned that sometimes you use plywood uh, for that texture is that right yeah yeah absolutely so I mean I uh, I will take a like a three-quarter inch piece of plywood and just back it with either chipboard you could even you know, glue a piece of linoleum to that, and that gets you very close to type high. Um, yeah, so I mean, any any surface that you can raise up to 0.918 inches will uh, will be printable. Uh, the quality is not ever guaranteed, <laughs> but it'll it'll definitely put some ink on the paper for you. Yeah. Uh, how do you usually determine whether it's type high? Do you have like one of those like a little measuring thing or do you just kind of visually compare it to like a wood a piece of wood type i i i have a type high gauge which is type the measuring gauge. thing okay. you were referring to yeah and yeah. that is uh it's it's so important to to have around for when working with different types of materials that you're trying to raise up to type high um but also just i think a really integral part of any letterpress shop, especially one that isn't working ex exclusively from, from plates. Right. Um, but yeah, I would check it by that, but you can also, you know, put it side by side with another piece of type, for example, that, you know, for sure to be type high. Yeah. And, and do you usually have to, I, I guess, play with the packing? Uh, I know you use Vandercooks, is that right? Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, so when, so a, it, when I'm working with a linoleum block, that's uh, the way that I work is I buy, you know, full sheets of MDF and rolls of linoleum. So then I'm able to control exactly the size of the block that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. And the linoleum is just glued to the MDF and that three quarter inch plus the linoleum uh, gets you very close to type high. It does take some uh, additional packing and that is a, uh, underpacked so it's put underneath the block to bring it up just a little bit and I usually I think the standard around here in my shop uh, based on the amount of uh, packing that we put on our presses is uh, I put usually two sheets of 110 pound paper underneath and that gets it very close I mean uh, depending on the glue job or the pressure of the press or 
any number of variables. You might need extra paper uh, in particular sections or over the entire block. But it's a, I mean, just like anything else in letterpress printing, it's something that you work with incrementally. So you right. add a little bit and try it out and then add a little bit more and try that out. Uh, I was to teach a class at the at Montserrat in Beverly and something that I've been trying to hammer home every single class is that everything you do in a letterpress shop should be done incrementally uh, you know and try it out every single time because uh, just a just a little bit of adjustment can often go a long way <laughs> that is uh, that's probably the one of the biggest points I think um, you're making this show because that that's so true i've learned that so much so many times time and time again with letterpress is that everything is incremental but i've never thought about it so succinctly uh as, as you just put it but i often will make just a tiny adjustment and i'm like oh i went the wrong way you know gotta go the other way um so that's really interesting is that something i guess you've just learned uh over time or did you yeah yeah absolutely yeah. try trial by fire jordan <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like it's it often um, pretty astonishing, like what a piece of tracing paper can do. Um, just that that small amount of uh, of packing can can change the amount of impression that you're making and and get it exactly where you need it to be. And if it if it's not one piece of tracing paper, maybe it's two. But I think you have to go through that process of like one at a time. Right. Um, yeah, and I. I think the other thing that's really important to understand is that as letterpress printers, we're working with uh, what is somewhat of, uh, you know, wood type and metal type are kind of this non-renewable resource, you know, yeah. uh, how many, how many, how many pieces of wood type can we afford to smash? Uh, the answer there is zero. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, go go slow. I know that's something that some of the other folks on this podcast have talked about, but it's so important. Go slow and take it one step at a time and uh, just sort of welcome the, uh, the time to try each step slowly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I wanted to circle back to real quick on the, your, the linoleum you use. What type of linoleum do you use? I I use the the Battleship Gray linoleum and I buy that from Blick Art Materials. Okay. Alright, cool. Uh, I prefer I prefer not to purchase linoleum that's already mounted to a block just because I find that the glue job is less than stellar, and so sometimes you end up with the uh, the pattern of the glue marks, and so I just <laughs> like everything else that I'm doing, I just want total control. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. No, that's very cool. Um, well, so one of the things I have noticed, uh, I, I love following along on your Instagram account, that uh, you've done multicolor, uh, I guess, linoleum blocks and carvings before, right? How, how do you mm -hmm. plan those out or, or think through the different designs as you're carving those, which color will be which? Is it like reductive or are you doing different um, linoleum blocks for each color? I think it. I think it depends on the project. Um, I think it depends on how uh, exclusive I want that print to be, um, or you know, limited edition. Uh, to do to do a reduction cut that limits the amount of times that that print can be reprinted, right. uh, and so it 
inherently has a little bit more exclusivity. Um, but yeah, it's a it's either a reduction cut or multicolor blocks. And um, you know, I I admit that I use the I use the computer and design programs as a tool in my letterpress printing process. It is definitely not a means for production, but it's a it's right. a it's an important part of that process. And so. Uh, when I am designing a poster or a print, I will start by, I'll start by drawing. I'll start by taking type out of the cases and setting it and proofing it. And once I, once I understand what I want the type to look like and I've taken a clean proof, uh, that, uh, that proof is scanned into the computer so that I can manipulate it digitally and I can take the drawing that I've made for the imagery into the computer as well and adjust colors and size and layout so that my client or whoever I'm working with can see a very close approximation to what I'm making for them without having to go through the process of creating those blocks. Um, and so once I, once I have that figured out, I understand the color separations and whether I can get away with, uh, working from one block in a reductive process, or if it's going to require multiple blocks, you know, I think it really depends on how many colors I, I have to work with. Is this a three color job or is it just a two color job? And right. if I need that third color, how can I work with transparency to, to get that additional color as a part of the design? Yeah. Well, uh, so I want to shift gears a, a little bit, Eli, and I want to ask you about uh, acquiring equipment. So you are predominantly a, a Vandercook shop. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I have. So I, I work with two Vandercook SP15s. I also have a, a CNP 8x12 um, and then a few other, you know, tabletop presses around and maybe a year or so ago, my landlord who is a is an interesting guy he found a a heidelberg windmill that he just had to have uh it was free so i can't really blame him um but he moved that in here maybe a year or so ago but my shop doesn't really see the sort of work that would require the use of that heidelberg so it's mm -hmm. it's the heaviest paperweight in the shop right now <laughs> Well, how did you go about finding and, and getting all of that equipment over time? Yeah, uh, that is that story is sort of inherent to like me being where I am today. And um, the one of the Vandercooks and the CNP and the majority of the the type that is here at Union Press is original to the building that we're in uh, from about I want to say 1953 until the late 80s early 90s this building was it was the city press and that was the name of the union print shop that operated out of here and they were an offset and letterpress print shop um you know towards the towards the 80s and 90s they definitely weren't using the letterpress equipment um and at that point my landlord purchased a portion of this building and so his tenants were the print shop and uh, one day they sort of disappeared. I, you know, I, I wouldn't say they disappeared into thin air. I don't think it happened so succinctly as that, but, uh, they left and left behind the Vandercook, the C and P all the type. And, uh, as I said, my landlord, um, he's, he's a collector of sorts and he saw, he saw the value in this machinery. He appreciates, you know, engineering and mechanics. He himself is an architect and, 
he wanted to make sure that this equipment didn't find its way to the scrapyard. And uh, so from, from the 90s into the early 2000s, he was working with Keith Cross, who I mentioned earlier, to sort of maintain the shop. And Keith was using it as, uh, as his own print shop. And uh, so, you know, as a, as a 22-year-old college graduate, I walked into a fully functional print shop. Um, wow. Yeah, just, just really right place, right time. Yeah. Um, and around that, around that same time, my, my dad and I found uh, the, my second Vandercook SP-15 in, in a garage in a suburb of Boston. And uh, the family that was living there was moving to the West Coast. They had never used the press. Someone thought it would be a hobby for them. And uh, that was incorrect. Uh, <laughs> so I reaped the benefits of, of that. And so in, in 2010, when I started printing here, I also, I also bought that Vandercook. And at the time we didn't have, didn't have space in the shop. So that, that then sat in my dad's garage for about a year and, uh, and then we moved it in here. So, I mean, uh, and that, that press I found through Briar Press. So, you know, all of the normal channels, looking right. on the internet, uh, finding the right person. I think I was lucky enough to have bought that press, whatever it is, seven, eight years ago. I'm, I'm not paying the <laughs> ungodly prices that people mm. pay for Vandercooks these days. Um, and, and then as far as type goes, uh, you know, I, I fall into the black hole that is eBay sometimes. Uh, <laughs> There is also, there's a really great uh, museum of printing up here in Haverhill, Massachusetts. And so they have type sales every now and again. And I go over there and I'll pick up a, pick up a font or two. And, and that's, you know, for me, it's the treasure hunt is, is really fun. Um, right. I think, I think I am, I guess, less, less desperate to fill a shop given that I have a, I have a decent collection at my disposal. Right. Um, but, you know, like I said, through all those normal channels, you know, Briar Press, those listings on there are really great. And just uh, finding the local letterpress community uh, within your region is the best resource. I would say far better than the Internet itself mm-hmm. uh, is like finding the people um, right. and, you know, inevitably somebody knows somebody and they have type or they have a press and once they know you're interested then you become the person they go to Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely that we had a similar experience there was a uh, here in charlotte we kind of just stumbled upon uh, a a print shop that had you know lots of big equipment big heidelbergs and big paper cutter and old type and Mm -hmm. uh they're effectively we're like yeah sure you know let's let's work something out and come come use it It needs to be used you know and it's like oh man this is amazing how did this you know we just (laughs) kind of stumbled into this uh this situation so it's cool i think there's so many opportunities like that and it seems like just finding the people you know reaching out going visiting shops that sort of thing uh is the best way to uh, to get involved and locally right And, and find that kind of local community of letterpress printing although these days it's it's growing so maybe it's not as hard to to track down those people as as it has been maybe when you started yeah yeah maybe but i think i think that only works in our favor absolutely yeah i I totally agree well uh tell me what kind of ink do you use uh 
I, I use Van Son's rubber-based ink. Um, that was, I guess I don't know why I opted for that. Well, I was at, when I was at Hatch, they used, I think, exclusively oil. And then when I took that class at Mass Art, they were using mostly rubber-based. And I guess when I bought the when I bought a press, it came with a bunch of ink and it was all rubber based and, you know, you know, not to mix the oil and the rubber together. So mm -hmm. I just, I just stuck with the rubber and that has, I mean, that's proven just fine for me. It, it does what I want it to. Um, I, I guess I find myself to be not so, not so picky a letterpress printer in mm -hmm. some regards. You know, I am, I guess I'm, not as concerned about the type of paper that I'm printing on or, you know, the type of ink. And uh, I think what's more important is what is going on the page and making sure that is well-designed and uh, successfully conveying a message and, you know, what your, what your, my client is looking for. And uh, most importantly, just uh, that I feel good about what it is and, and my feeling good doesn't, doesn't really have to do with the type of ink or the type of paper, I would say. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned everyone sort of knows not to mix oil and rubber based ink. I have, have you ever done that? Uh, learning the hard way? Cause I have no, no, no idea I, what, that would, <laughs> what happens if, if, if I do that. And, and I'm afraid because we actually have a couple things of oil ink and mostly rubber based ink. And I'm like, Oh, you know, if I make that mistake one day, I need to know what to look for. No, it's like, I, I think it's, it's not something I've ever done. I guess maybe it's uh, just something that I've heard, but it's, um, you know, I don't know if it's that they shouldn't be like mixed together or if they shouldn't be printed one on top of the other. Um, I guess you got me there, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Uh, well, we'll leave it to another guest uh, in the yeah, future to, good. to solve, to solve that, uh, that quandary for us. Uh, that's funny. Well, talk about, uh, your creative process. What's it like, uh, to, when, when you are creating, uh, a print, what does that look like for you? Uh, well, I guess I would say I am, I'm often relying pretty heavily on, on the type that I'm choosing. And I think I think sometimes that is dependent on the the type of poster that I'm making or the type of print, and, you know, what it's for, and if I'm able to match the match the vibe of the event to the type that I have in my shop. Um, but I I sort of I sort of design type first. Uh, I. All of all of my type is in a it's in a pretty small 300 square foot room and uh, that's where that's where the shop started and it's a I think it's a pretty inspiring and also cozy place and when I am first working on a print that's usually where I go uh, and I will open up drawers and I will take the type out and lay it out on a board and. Um, that that I think informs sort of the rest of the design process. Um, you know, like I was saying earlier when I talked about creating linoleum cuts and understanding color separations and things like that, the drawing generally comes second for me. Um, I usually like to have a meeting with 
my client, most of most of the poster work that I'm doing these days is commissioned, uh, you know, for an event or an organization or a company that I'm working for. And so, uh, I like to get a fair amount of input from my client and understand what it is they're looking for. Sometimes they have a very specific idea. And so it's really important to get that information from them before I start. But also, right. sometimes they, they don't know. Sometimes they've seen a poster that I've made and they really like the style and they, uh, they allow me to uh, take total control over the design process. And in a, in a scenario like that, maybe I'll dig through a sketchbook and find something that I have uh, put together in the past that just have not, I have not had a chance to make. And so I'll employ something like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, like I said, uh, type first and then the imagery comes next and mm -hmm. then you add color and, uh, yeah, it's just a, go slow. <laughs> yeah, just go slow, just go slow. And, uh, I mean, something else that's really enjoyable for me is, uh, putting the pieces together. You know, I think letterpress printing is like building a puzzle and you get to decide where the pieces go. Right. Um, and that's always been really exciting for me is figuring out how to fit all of all of those elements together. And one way or another, they fit. They always do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, in, in a, a previous episode, you talked about your um, uh, some of your work and people kind of find you if you're printing for a client. In a previous episode, we talked to Micah at the Old Try and he mentioned that he found you by he found a poster uh, tacked to a light pole it had it was like this letterpress print it had seven colors uh, and he you know turned it over the, he said he yanked it off the light pole by the way which I, we won't tell your clients but uh, no no it was okay because that was that, I I know the story and it, oh okay the, the show had already happened and that's something uh. that, I, that I love hearing is that people see a poster hanging up and they uh, they consider it not just a utilitarian object that is in forming them it's also a piece of art and uh you know for him to yank it off the telephone pole and bring it home that's that's a good feeling for me so yeah. uh totally okay <laughs> <laughs> that's funny but yeah he said that's that's kind of how he found you uh as as letterpress printer and so I, it's it's really I, I find it really interesting to see that designer to printer uh workflow so i'm curious if you can talk about what it looks like for you when you're printing for a client uh, maybe from start to finish, how that works and maybe how long that takes, you know? Yeah. So I think, uh, I think there is no straightforward way to talk about the design process, especially when letterpress printing is involved. Uh, the, the scope of the project is totally dependent on, you know, the, the budget for the project and how many colors are going to be printed. And if it's a poster or if it's a, a wedding invitation and, you know, the, the scale of it, how many were printed, there's just so much that goes into it. And, um, so I guess just to sort of, uh, strip that down and, and simplify it for you, I would say, uh, it starts by, by someone reaching out to me and saying, you know, I have this thing coming up. Uh, can you say, make a poster for it? And I would say, when is your thing? And, uh, if there's enough time, I would say, sure, we can make that happen. Um, and I would invite them in here to the shop so they can see some of the work that I've made in the past and just get a better sense for the process. I think that's really un important for a client to understand is like what goes into making a, uh, a letterpress printed poster or invite or, or any 
any piece at all. Um, And so we sit down and we go over the logistics of quantity and colors and, you know, whether they're working from a digital design or if I'm doing the design work here. Uh, And then I try to get a sense for what the event is um, or what they're trying to convey. Um, And I often tell them to go home and do some research and send me images of work that they like or Uh, aesthetics that really resonate with them. Um, And from there, I walk into my room of type and I I start pulling type and I'll proof it. And uh, then uh, if there's imagery involved, I'll work on the imagery and all of that comes into the computer. And uh, from there, it goes through a process of designing and uh, adjusting and changing the layout and scale, not the scale of the type because that's locked in, but say the scale of the imagery or something like that. And uh, from there, the client sees a, a digital file uh, as a close approximation of what their printed piece would look like. And once we have gone through, you know, sufficient rounds of changes that both they and I are happy with where the design is, then I, I go through the process of creating the linoleum cuts and refining the, the type form so that it is, it's going to print exactly where I want it to. And then I, you know, I print them as they do at Hatch, one sheet at a time, one color at a time. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. How do you how do you get the images onto the linoleum? Uh, so that is that's something that I either do through a process of uh, you know inverting the image digitally, printing it out, and then tracing it using carbon paper onto the linoleum block, or I will uh, draw the image onto a piece of tracing paper. And I don't know if. I don't know how many people are familiar with like how magical tracing paper is, but if you if you draw the image on one side with a pencil and flip it over onto the block and trace that same image on the back side of the the linoleum, what you're doing is pushing the original pencil marks into the block and it transfers the image for you. Oh, wow. So wait, okay, so you you would you would draw your initial image on the draw side it, you would that would develop. draw it on the draw it on the trace right reading, uh-huh. flip it over so it ends up wrong reading, and then you trace it again, and you're just pushing that pencil mark into the block. Oh wow! Right, tracing paper is magical. <laughs> <laughs> Not only do you use it to trace, you use it to pack everything. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I had exactly. never I had never thought about doing that. Uh, I'm gonna have to go home, go 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 downstairs and experiment with that uh, <laughs> soon. Now you've got me wondering. Uh, that's very cool. Um, well, uh, tell me about what it's like to teach people letterpress. I know you've held workshops in your shop. Uh, so, what does that look like for you? And 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 what do people, I guess, often come in and, and take away from it? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. So I, in the past, I have uh, I have held workshops here at Union Press and. Um, as of late, I have done, I've been doing less of that just because I am teaching at other locations. I, I teach letterpress printing and other types of printmaking at Raw Artworks, which is a youth art center in Lynn, Massachusetts. And then I, uh, last semester, I taught a course at the New Hampshire Institute of Art and this semester I'm at the Montserrat College of Art. And so, uh, 
it's been really interesting to have started teaching, I guess, adults. And then I worked my way down and now I'm working with college age kids, but also middle school and high school age kids. And uh, I think different age groups will take away something different from that process. Uh, for me, for me, it's it's always rewarding. Uh, it's always nice to be able to to share this process with with other people who either have some understanding of what it is or zero understanding of what it is. And um, you know, it's it, it's important to me to to be able to share this thing that at one point people were calling a you know a lost art or a dead art form and. Uh, as you and I both know, letterpress printing is alive and well. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I think adults really take away from from learning letter, letterpress printing, uh, especially if they're working with handset type, is that it's it's slow. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something you you need to be cautious doing, um, cautious doing, but also conscious doing. Uh, you really need to be paying attention to what is happening and understanding why things are happening. Um, and it just, it really gives people a chance to, uh, pay attention to, to what's going on, uh, and, and touch things. Um, you know, the, the process from beginning to end involves your hands and, uh, and your eyes and, uh, you know, letterpress printing is a multi-sensory process and to, to engage all of those senses, simultaneously I think is is really great it feels really great smells really great it often looks really great Mm -hmm. um and yeah it's like there's a there's a sense of magic to to working through this process of setting something up and going through this very labor intensive uh this labor intensive process to make sure everything is where it's supposed to be and then to you know, roll a piece of paper through a press and out the other side comes this very unique one-of-a-kind print. Uh, I find, you know, people get really excited about that. And and rightly so. I mean, that's what that's what did it for me is like uh, being really excited about making a thing to make a thing. Uh, you know, you are, you're setting up this type, you're carving a linoleum block, you're making these objects, and then you are uh, putting paper through a press and, you know, touching them to those objects. And then you get, you get a finished piece. Uh, it's a, it's a labor of love. And I think people get that. Uh, well, some people do, some people say, isn't there an easier way? Mm -hmm. Uh, and there, there is an easier way, but it is, it's just not the same. Right. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've totally, you're, you're right. Pulling that sheet of paper through the press. I had, we had, my wife and I had the same experience when we took a workshop at Baltimore print studios, uh, using the Vandercooks and, and printing and setting up the type, you know, I mean, we still have a little print we made and that's one of our favorites just because it was, it was like, Whoa, you know, we, then immediately we were addicted and, yeah. uh, kind of went down the wormhole. Uh, yeah. But, slippery slope. <laughs> it, it really is. And now here I am with the podcast. Who knew? Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I am really curious about high schoolers and middle schoolers learning because I, you know, I feel like most of their life has, they have been surrounded by a digital world. So what is, what are their reactions when they come in to, to print uh, letterpress. Uh, that's a 
it's very I think it's very different than when adults come into a letterpress shop and uh, maybe they have have had some other experience in their, in their life that they can compare to letterpress printing or you know they say my my grandfather did this or something like that but but yeah kids these days sound like an old person saying that um, <laughs> kids these days they you know they they live on their phones and um, yeah, it's a it's a highly digital day to day experience for them, and so when they come into a letterpress shop, I, uh, you know, I ask them what they know and what they can speculate, and they're they're generally able to come to a uh, a pretty clear, but also a pretty pretty quickly they come to a clear conclusion of like what letterpress printing is and what it was used for, uh, and maybe not why it's still relevant today. Um, <laughs> That, that's maybe something they would understand later on with a little bit more involvement. Um, but I think, I think to, to them, it is, they understand it to be an art form, uh, a means to, to produce artwork, which I think is sometimes not what letterpress printing is viewed to be. Uh, and I think at its core, that's that's sort of what it is is a is a means for producing art and uh that's that's the way i that's the way i teach it at the youth art center um and it's a it's a very process oriented means um some of the some of the middle schoolers that i work with they you know they have a real affinity for Legos. And so setting type is very much like playing with Legos. You know, you find the right, the right block that fits in the right space and, and that's where it goes. And, uh, you know, sometimes they are able to just like really focus. And, uh, I had a high school student tell me that she really appreciated setting type and putting type away because it, it sort of let her, these are her words. She said it let her get in the zone um, and like all of her, all of her cares and her troubles, they just sort of disappeared while she was focusing on something so intently. And I think, I think that's exactly what it provides is like a, a very focused task, uh, where they can just sort of forget all of their other troubles and, and do this thing that has a, a very structured and orderly way about it. Right. Yeah, that's so true. Especially my wife, especially learned uh, when she when we got our first set of type and, and we're putting it in our type cabinet, Hamilton type cabinet in our uh, our studio, she like almost like elbowed me out of the way because she realized <laughs> that she loved so much, you know, finding the particular place for that letter and that letter. And she was so uh, meditative for her. We've meditated, we've said multiple times on this podcast, but just putting it away and, you know, like she said, getting in the zone. Uh, it, it's it, There's just something about the whole tactile process that detaches us from our modern digital world that I just find, I find so fascinating. Um, yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about, so you said uh, you kind of teach, teach letterpress as a means of producing art. Um, do you, how do you, so let me ask you this then instead of that. So are you a printer or are you a designer, right? Because if you're, I feel like if you're a printer, maybe you don't care so much about the design, but you are all in tune with the letterpress printing processes. But if you're a designer, you care more about, you know, the look and feel and what it communicates. Where do you think you land on that spectrum? 
Uh, I would say I land right in the middle, Jordan. Um, <laughs> That's an <laughs> easy think, answer. <laughs> it is an easy answer, but I like I I can't say one way or the other. I mean, I'm definitely definitely not just a printer. I'm definitely not just a designer. Um, mm-hmm. I I have a really hard time designing something that I'm not then going to print. Um, and I mm-hmm. like I cannot print something well I guess I can print something that I haven't designed but it's not nearly as fun um you know that sort of that sort of work pays the bills but that's that work isn't it's not for me it's not joyful uh it's not the reason I wanted to become a letterpress printer it's not the reason why I continue to be a letterpress printer uh I I do so because I am involved in in the design process and I am involved in the production process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those two things are, are so important for me. And so one without the other feels incomplete. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that definitely, uh, that makes sense. It, it's, uh, you know, as I've learned letterpress, I've, I, my wife is way more artistic and got a, you know, she's very in tune with design and I've been drawn to the equipment, you know, and just mm-hmm. printing and, and now I find myself trying to figure out, well, how do I, cause like, I mean, I would, if just left to my own devices, I would throw something on the press, you know, and print a color and then be like, look what I did. You know, my wife's like, that looks terrible. Why, why would you print that? You know? And I'm like, oh, so now I need to think about what it looks like. And, you know, I see some of the awesome posters, you and so many other letterpress printers that produce out there. And I'm like, okay, how do I create something that's in my mind and make you know give it give it like a cool intriguing visual flair or, or whatever it is and I, so i've tried to teach myself or at least learn design or think about how to do that better and it's 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 just totally different they're different things and i i i had never connected that dot until i started trying it you know and my wife's like that that yeah that doesn't look good you know <laughs> okay uh, yeah but i mean i like i was saying you know i don't i don't know that you can have one without the other i think there needs to be there sh- there should be a clear understanding of logistically what you can do through the process of letterpress printing in order to understand how to appropriately design for letterpress printing. Right. Uh, I think the exceptions there are working from plates, um, but, you know, through the, through the more traditional methods uh, and, you know, the, the same philosophy uh, that is applied at Hatch applies to, you know, any other person working with handset type and hand carved imagery, which is that the designer is the printer and the printer is the designer. Um, and, and an understanding of both is, is super important. And I think, uh, you know, we talked about a learning curve and trial by fire. And I think that applies to understanding both the printing and the design process. You know, you like, you've got to do something wrong to know that it looks bad. Um, that stuff isn't always inherent. Uh, and like go out, take a design class that definitely couldn't hurt. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I've yeah, I've got right now. I've got three books from the library. You know, it's like design for dummies kind of thing. <laughs> uh, you and all the design listeners may be cringing. Um, but, <laughs> no, but Jordan, you've got to start somewhere. And just the fact that you're you're interested and uh, you know motivated enough to take the steps on your own, I think that is that's what really matters there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I firmly uh, I, I firmly believe any any trait or skill, you know, can be learned. I know a lot of people 
you know, often refer to someone as artistic and that seems like a, um, unachievable trait. It's something you're born with or not, you know, but I, I really feel like with enough practice and, and, and trial by fire, like we've talked about, you know, people, people can learn just about anything. So, uh, that's, that's definitely one of my goals, uh, long-term goals, I will say not, <laughs> not near term. Um, that's fantastic. Well, uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is pressure printing. I noticed, uh, you know, I was looking through your Instagram feed and you had a, this cool picture. I think it was like of a swan uh, and it was, uh, you were pressure printing. What exactly mm-hmm. is that? Um, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and I, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to drop a name here, but I feel like I have to. And uh, it's like the, the king of pressure printing and maybe he doesn't appreciate me saying so. Uh, but you should talk to, you should talk to Brad Vetter. I don't know if he's on your list, uh, but get him on here. Um, it, I'm pretty sure I learned how to pressure print from Brad while I was at Hatch. And that is a, that is a process very similar to the make ready process uh, where you are adjusting pressure. Uh, so something hits harder than something else. And uh, basically what you're doing is you're cutting a stencil. And so the negative of the stencil doesn't apply pressure to your printing substrate, whether that substrate is a linoleum block or a wood block or upside down wood type or just something. Generally, it's something large and flat. And so, like I said, where there's a negative of that stencil, it's going to get inked up, but the paper isn't going to be pressed into it as fully as the other areas where there is a positive. Oh, wow. Okay. So it would still get a little ink, but it, it would Yep. It, it gets just... a little ink and there's some texture. And uh, the, I think the, the best application of pressure printing is when you are wanting to show texture, uh, but don't necessarily want to carve that block and have it be a, a very crisp and clean line. Um, I'm, it's really funny. I'm just starting a pressure printing unit with my class at Montserrat and, uh, I provided to them the, there's a whole section on pressure printing and Brad Vetter is one of the contributing authors to it on the letterpress commons. And I feel like that is a, uh, that's a, a very, very well written, uh, piece about what pressure printing is and how to achieve it. Um, and this is the point where I say pressure printing is so much easier to understand if you see it happen than <laughs> if you talk about it. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's hard, to, hard to describe without visuals and without the actual experience of it. But um, the, it produces some really great results and, like I said, provides really fantastic texture. Awesome. Yeah, I've I've been uh taking notes. I've got a lot of things. I'm going to I'm going to go downstairs to our studio and uh and give a whirl. Uh, I'll keep you posted on how some of those goes if I uh if I go down <laughs> go down in flames, but uh but look, hey, thank you so much Eli for for taking the time. Uh I'm really grateful. It was a fantastic and highly educational uh episode. I know folks are going to uh really enjoy it. So uh so thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Jordan. Do you have website or, or info people can find you at? Um, yeah, totally. Uh, so the website is www.unionpressprints.com. And uh, I guess the best way to keep an eye on what we're up to is through Instagram. And 
the, our handle is at Union Press. Uh, the Instagram gets updated way more frequently than the website, so forgive me. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Eli. Yeah, of course. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I know I learned a whole lot. Uh, I genuinely do have four pages of notes. That was no joke. <laughs> but uh, to find links uh, to references that Eli made throughout the episode, you can visit the show notes page for this episode. That's at letterpressdigest.com forward slash six. That's just the numeral six. You can do that for all episodes. Uh, I listed the link for the Battleship Gray linoleum that he uses from Dick Blick. Uh, you can also hear about Jessica White's experience with linoleum in episode one. Uh, and then on the page, there's also a link to Brad Vetter's Letterpress Commons page on pressure printing. Uh, and if you're also curious about the backstory on Letterpress Commons, you can listen to episode four, where I talk with Harold Kyle, the president and founder of Boxcar Press, who helped create it. Uh, well, look, thank you again for listening and hope to see you next time.